life got it for cheap Might hurt you once, but never no more It's like trying to fly, but they clipping your wings And that's exactly why the cage bird sings Hey, welcome to the 5th Deck Podcast, the Toronto Blue Jays podcast here at The Athletic Toronto. Uh, I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Sorry for the couple-week absence. Uh, I was gone away for a little bit. Um, Toronto Raptors stuff getting in the way a little bit as well. We're back this week. Hopefully, uh, that's the last time we'll miss episodes for the remainder of what could be a long Toronto Blue Jays season that extends into October, uh, which might not be. We'll uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit more. Joining me now from Birds All Day, uh, previously of Ghost Runner on First, the score. Uh, you know him. You love him. Drew Fair Service. Drew, what's going on, buddy? Uh, Mr. Murphy, thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Now, when I asked you to uh, when I asked you to do this podcast in addition to Birds All Day, um, you were you were so so excited to get your your Jays takes out on another much less listened to platform. Um, do you have do you have anything new for you guys? You guys are recording Birds All Day tomorrow, though, right? Not uh, you haven't recorded yet this week. No, typically we record on Thursdays and they go up. Uh, at some point on Friday, but I think this week we're going to record a week earlier. Uh, no, we're having a good time. We've done a, 115 or 16 episodes now. That's awesome. Uh, week, yeah, yeah, weekly. Uh, it, was, it was. It's funny. I mean, uh, people that like podcasts like them a lot, and they wanted Stoughton and I to come back with our fire takes, and and now we have. Uh, uh, they they have to be careful with what they wish for, because because here, here we are, and they're stuck with us. Uh, we're having a good time. But- Andrew Stoughton, by the way, whose writing you can find at The Athletic Toronto. That, that's true. He is he is one of the cast of thousands. Cast of thousands, yes. Cast of thousands. Always. They even let me write a little bit of baseball, which is just just gross mismanagement. Well, you know, there's no accounting for taste. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you turn the old content uh, fire hose on, there's no point ever trying to turn it off. So, Look, if anyone was going to be able to turn around Luke Maley's season at the plate, it was obviously me writing about how bad his season at the plate was. I really I, that's that's when any player reads uh, on on a uh, on a subscription only uh, website uh, about how bad they are. It really puts a fire in their belly. Yeah, and, and to, look, in, in to be fair, I wrote about how he's very very good at all the things except for hitting, and then well, he, he is, promptly hit a dinger. So there you go. He is he is a catcher that does come with the territory. That yeah. is sort of the the skill set that. You can often ride all the way to the big leagues. How would you know anything about that? Let me tell you, <laughs> I can. I don't know a single thing about that. Yeah, um, you, you. We were just talking uh, off air. You guys are. You guys are undefeated. You and Jonah Bierenbaum, a, a frequent guest on this podcast. Um, how? How is that? How? What is? What is that level of ball like? And um, you know, a, a weekly game that you guys have been playing for, or a weekly league that you guys have been playing for a couple of years now. Um, as someone who has only in my entire career played slow pitch, uh, what's the what's the competition level like? What's what's that like for you guys? It's great. It's ideal for me. Uh, it's called the Toronto Men's Baseball League. It actually was born out of the Batters Box, one of the longest serving Blue Jays um, blogs or forum sort of in between things. Batters Box has been around forever, so this league was born there. Uh, the league has been around for eleven years. Joanna and I, this is our fourth season. Uh, we have a good time, and it's for me, it's just the right level. There's a good mix of I'm a, I'm quite a bit older than than Jonah, but Jonah played in uh, in university. He played at at Carleton. There's a bunch of uh, players in the league who have a similar level of experience playing, you know, Canadian university, Canadian college ball. Guys who are young, right out of school, uh, but they're but the 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 level of play is low enough that I'm not outclassed. Although I'm mostly outclassed at the plate, um, okay. but but if people who are looking for a more 
uh, more um, intense level of uh, a play level they could find it. But here it's like it's just it's baseball. So I mean, some guys throw in the 60s, some guys throw in the 70s. That's about as you know maybe a guy will touch 80 every so often, um, and but lots of junk as well. But you know guys are in their late 20s, early 30s, and we play every Saturday. There's four games a day, four games on Saturdays uh, between the league's eight teams, and it's great. It's a lot of fun. It's not too intense. It's not not no crazies really. No one gets all super fired up and is out there. You know people play to win and they play to have a good time, but they don't not trying to hurt each other, not trying to do anything foolish so it, it's uh it's been a lot of fun and i played softball like you said in slow pitch and i couldn't it was just wasn't right for me i i like baseball I, i'm a catcher as you alluded to uh so there's no there's no parallel in slow pitch to catching and being involved in the, with the play every you know every batter so no, i, I envy that the catcher's the best play the best spot on the field for actual baseball it's the worst spot for slow pitch you might as well bring a like a stool up there for slow pitch but but yeah, it's great. And there's a website that's that's fun as well. They keep stats and everything. So uh, we've been having a great time. And Joan and I are. I, I was joking in the off season that we are the the John Lester and David Ross yeah, of our perfect. league. Where we moved to a new team. We li- like John Lester and David Ross. We left, but we played for the Sox, and now we play for a new team called the that's just been renamed the Dodgers. Well, um, we're having go. a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of handsome catchers, uh, we are recording this Tuesday night as Russell Martin is at the plate. Uh, with Kendris Morales on third base. Uh, so unfortunately, this will go up Wednesday morning. We won't have the benefit of the result of this game in which the Blue Jays are currently down 4 nothing in the second inning uh, as Russell Martin grounds out. But we could be pretty safe in assuming that the Toronto Blue Jays will come back in this game because it's the Toronto Blue Jays against the Texas Rangers. And that's kind of what the Raptors do, or the Blue Jays, sorry. Jeez, I've recorded two Raptors podcasts today, so I'm going to probably slip up again and say, <laughs> call the Jays the Raptors. Um, that's what the Jays do, and that's what the Rangers do, especially when they're against each other. Drew, you are someone who has feelings about the Texas Rangers. Why, why is it that the Blue Jays seem to have the Rangers number? Um, is there like a bodily function that you could use to describe what the Rangers are, particularly Rugnit Ordor or Matt Bush? Um, your feelings as PG-13 as you can express them on this Jays-Rangers rivalry that's now a few years old. It's interesting because I there, there's a Rangers writer, Jamie Newberg, he's a Dallas area lawyer, and he's written about the team for a long, long time. And I only sort of, um, in my days of content uh, factory ain't working, I trying to take in as many perspectives of different teams as I could. And I signed up for this guy's um, newsletter and it shows up uh, periodically, sometimes every day, sometimes once a week. And they do minor league reports as well from another guy. But Jamie Newberg is a really good writer and he, he writes about the team in a really passionate way. But he's also Rangers fans are definitely a strange breed. So for for perverse reason, I have a bit I, I have feel a little bit more connected to that team than, say, the Twins or Cleveland or a lot of other teams in the American League. Um, and that said, they they have a there's a different breed and and uh, Newberg uh, to his you know his credit and his detriment, he writes about the team in a really weird way as though they're the only team. They do things that other teams don't, and they are the model by which all other franchises should be measured. Uh, things that aren't true, frankly. Uh, yeah, they had some they had some really good teams and they've done some great some good things, but uh, most of the time, what we've seen is that they end up being soaked in urine. Um, you know, they, 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 the, 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 uh, 2015 playoffs, of course, were a, uh, uh, a great series against, against the Rangers that then led to a million different exciting things. And it's become quite the rivalry. 
um, very one-sided as it is as it's become, and that the Jays continue to win. But of course, uh, there was the big brawl, which has led to basically two very much signature moments in baseball. You could say probably the last ten years. Um, things that people will remember for a long time will be the Jose Bautista bat flip and Rugen Odor punching Jose Bautista in the face. Uh, those What's were two... crazy is that Rugen Odor, in throwing that punch, also threw away any semblance of major league talent he had, apparently. It's true. And, and you know, I, and I, I, I have a lot, a lot of time for Rugen Odor. I, I, I buy in. He's very young and has a lot of power, and, and he, has, he plays with a chip on his shoulder, which not unlike Jose Bautista and, and players like him. But in terms of just pure tribalism, it's really easy to point at the Rangers and being like, I don't like them. I don't like those guys. I don't like the whole vibe that comes off of the team. And of course, the, those and, guys are great when they're on your team and they're they're cult heroes. When they're on someone else's team, they're absolutely insufferable. Uh, they also hit 218 with a 260 OBP when they're on another team. Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, if there was a time or before he signed his contract where if I it looked as though he may be squeezed out the the Rangers they have of course trade, traded Ian Kinsler and they had Jerks and Profar and they've got Elvis Andrews under contract for a long term so the thought was maybe they're going to move one of these guys because they've got so many middle infielders they end up settling on Odor but I would have happily taken Odor in, in a trade if the Rangers were dangling him or just like I would happily take Jerks and Profar if I'm a Blue Jays fan and and uh, I'm looking for middle infield support either of those guys can would help but obviously the 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 events of the last two years have been been a lot of feelings a lot of passions uh the rangers for me it's a fun team to just make fun of um they uh, they it's just they're a big fat wide target that i have a lot of fun on twitter making jokes at their expense and saying things that i never expected myself to be saying on twitter <laughs> uh just meant refer in reference to uh you know urine and stuff but <laughs> Uh, it's 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 fun when the Jays play them. It's fun because the Jays win. It's fun because it drives probably drives the Rangers fans absolutely mental that they just can't seem to figure the Jays out. Uh, it's it's a win-win, frankly. Yeah. Everything about it is terrific. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, right now, both teams 34 and 35 as we record this. Uh, of course, the big storyline right now that every uh, beat writer in existence in the American League has tweeted out. Everyone is within four and a half games of a playoff spot. That includes the Blue Jays, who are only one game back of the second wildcard position. Uh, obviously, some things to fix up. And, you know, today's meme du jour of the the floor is whatever. Uh, you know, the Jays, the floor is 500 baseball, and they, they can't seem to touch it. Maybe this series, uh, this seven-game road trip, turns things around. Um, in general, I, I've kind of felt like the last couple weeks – um, you know, especially given the way that the 2015 and 2016 Blue Jays seasons went, uh, th- there seems to be more negativity around this team being only one game behind five under 500 with all the injuries that they've had. Um, it seems like there's more negativity than maybe I would have expected if you had told me the season would start this way with um, injury troubles and a couple slumps early on and that, hey, there's still only one game under 500 and one game back of the wild card. I know part of that is probably... Um, the specter of potential changes if they don't turn it around quickly. Uh, David Cameron at Fangraphs today or yesterday in writing about bubble teams who could go either way at the deadline. Uh, the Jays were at the top of that list. Uh, Drew, I'm wondering your feelings on where the Jays are in general, um, You know how them being a, underperforming a little bit right now compares to the last two years. Uh, and if you're, you know, if, if not with the negativity, maybe just less optimism than in years past, or, or are you willing to see this out? Are you, are you seeing things turning around and, and then climbing above 500 and closer to a playoff spot over the next month, which is really a pivotal month for them? Well, I think it's, I'm of two minds. Well, number one, 
if you look at, say, the Fangraphs playoff odds, or or I'm sure that Baseball Prospectus reflects a similar reality, which is that Blue Jays are probably more talented than the teams that are, you know, kind of hovering around that 500 mark. They're probably better than the Angels. They're, probably, they're definitely better than the Royals. They're probably better than the Rays, better than, you know, Texas, whomever else. Uh, the only team I think that's not in a division-leading position right now that the Blue Jays are should be wary of would, would of course, be uh, like the Red Sox. Yes. Um, but, uh, by the way, but this is already cut you off. Forty-one point six percent are the playoff odds. Fangraphs currently gives the Blue Jays at thirty-four and thirty-five, uh, with an expected win-loss of eighty-three point six and seventy-eight point four. So, um, good things to come based on those projections. I'll let you continue. No, so but so basically, yes, I, I I feel like the Jays have that are in a nice position, or they have the they definitely have the ability to slide into a, a playoff spot, or even just sort of put a few more good weeks together. Um, uh, but uh, because, again, they are, I think, more talented than the teams that they're surrounding. But I also think that the reason that the fan uh, negativity or that the sort of cynicism or, or skepticism of the team's ability to, to actually pull that off is because they do have less talent than in years past. I think that if you look at if you look back to last year, um, you don't have. You know that Edwin Encarnacion hot streak waiting to happen, like the Blue Jays. You know, like Cleveland is experiencing right now. Uh, right now, what you've got, if you're a Blue Jays fan, you're looking at the team. You you, you think, okay, you're probably going to. You, you would hope to get more from Tulowitzki. You feel like you're almost for sure going to get less from Smoke coming down the stretch. You feel as though you're getting closer to reality from Kevin Pillar. Um, you know, there's just not. A, I don't think the the error bars are quite as big right now. I I, I just don't. I, I can. I'm trying to say I get why people would be skeptical because I don't know that the team is capable of putting together a crazy run because they're just not as talented as they had been in 2015 and 2016. Uh, you know, some of the players, the key players, Tulowitzki in particular, uh, you know, just not looking so great right now. Not striking out, but not walking. Doesn't seem like he has a lot of batted ball uh, command. I guess I think is maybe the word I want to use. He's just not. He hit the ball hard last night. He hit a double, but uh, he just doesn't doesn't look great. And and again, you know, you, you feel like Smoke has to regress. Pilar, you can't expect much from him offensively. Second base as a whole, left field as a whole, um, you know, defensively and offensively, you can only you hope for the best with Pierce, but you know he's not. He's no great shakes. Uh, Bautista had a great month, and then he's kind of he's been a little bit up and down, but you know he's, his numbers are going to be there in the end. So I think that uh, the the scary thing I think I guess. Also, is that that the um, the pitching is maybe not quite what you expected it to be. They obviously they rode that pitching staff to the playoffs a little bit last year, but now we're seeing you know, scary stuff from from Marco Estrada where he doesn't have a lot of command and he's getting hit around. And uh, so yeah, long story short, they don't have as much talent, and and it, it can be a scary time to think about a less talented team overcoming a whole bunch of teams that are they're not that much better than. And a team that maybe is less motivated with their management now to um, add to this core if things don't turn around in a hurry. A couple names you mentioned that I want to talk about. Um, I, I think we're going to skip Marco Estrada for today, but a pair of hitters. Troy Tulowitzki, uh, you mentioned his struggles at the plate. OBP's down to 298. He has a WRC plus of 68 right now, um, which for those who, who don't know, that means he's been about 32% less than league average, uh, all told offensively when controlling for environment. Um, that is... Troy Tulowitzki is good enough that he could WRC plus around 100 as he did the last two years and still be a stud. Um, but that's that's a little concerning. Now, the reason I wanted to talk to you about Tulo is that I remember last year you and I shared some concern about Tulowitzki early in the year. He wasn't getting around on fastballs. Um, he didn't seem to have uh, some of the batted ball that you that you like to see from him. 
Um, this year, that's taken to even more of an extreme. He's not striking out anymore at all, um, but he's also not putting a sting into the ball. Uh, his hard, con hard hit percentage is down to 28%, which is the lowest it's been since 2012. His soft contact percentage is at a career high at 26%. Um, you know, these, these stats it, it, on their own don't mean a ton, but his line drive rate's down. Basically, it paints the profile of a guy who's hitting the ball on the ground a lot more and driving it a lot less. Um, I'm almost to the point where, you know, the fact that I worried about Tulo so much last year and then he came out of it, um, I'm worried that maybe that's coloring my my evaluation of how he's hitting now because I'm kind of just assuming that he's going to round into form again. But this is a guy who's going to be 33 soon. Um, and, you know, the longer it goes on, the, the maybe the more concern... Uh, room there is for concern where where are you at with Tulowitzki do, do you see him I know you said he you you don't necessarily see that hot streak in him um but do you have any concern that he's you know no longer a league average bat all told I do I really do I mean he, again you if you want to look even further you can go to baseball savant and look at some of his his barrels and and uh barrels per batted ball event or barrels per plate appearance uh the guy we saw at the beginning of last year again you and I spoke about this um was just a guy who looked like he was really having trouble with fastballs. And as the amount of velocity in the game increases, uh, and as the, the, I feel like the mentality is sort of, is sort of um, changing as well, where uh, maybe a guy like Tulowitzki, again, he's not walking, not striking out. So is it, is it a matter of him trying to be more aggressive early in the count, uh, but also kind of having to cheat to get to the fastball? Because I feel like what I see is a guy who looks like he's guessing a lot. It looks like he's he's guessing and hoping and hunting for fastballs and not getting them um, because there's been a bit of an adjustment. They they say, OK, he's been ambushing fastballs. He's looking to hop on something uh, early in the count. So I, I think it, it, it bears monitoring. And, it, and it, you know, again, he's a true professional. He's a, been a tremendous you know, kind of borderline Hall of Fame player for his career. So it, I'm willing to give him time to see what his next move is and how he can sort of counteract um, what pitchers are doing to him because I, I think he does have it in him he's a smart enough heady player who's going to put in that work to get to there but uh again he just looks like a guy who's who's guessing and he looks fooled by you know breaking balls and, and off-speed stuff that comes in maybe fastball counts and then he's behind and then he's way out of luck and then you see him rolling over or sort of cheating around and i i think on our podcast i kind of equated him to albert pools a bit where pools has become this guy who's just almost a whole home run or nothing sort of hitter. He just lays back and is just trying to jerk everything into the stands where Tulowitzki almost isn't quite that ag aggressive in terms of his, what, he, what he's swinging at. But, but uh, again, he just doesn't, he doesn't look like a guy who, who has a, who's real confident with a real strong plan when he goes up to the plate. And uh, maybe that's just me going by the results, but it is a little scary because again, he is very, he's a, still a very strong uh, defensive shortstop. Um, you know, as he gets older, the numbers may not, stay as strong in terms of his range and everything like that, but he's as sure-handed as they get. But as he gets further and further away from league average at the, at the plate, uh, you start to, to look around and you start to think, well, what are we, what are we getting for $21 million um, at this point? And then when you look to Tulo's left and you see uh, just a total abyss black hole at second base, and then you look behind him and you see center field, you've got another, you know, really, uh, you know, not great bats, uh, you know, you start to you just start to think like this is this is the kind of thing that's going to hold the team back. You could kind of get away from it for a while, but but uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to worry about um, as far as Tulitsky goes. But again, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and let him see if he can make an adjustment 
to sort of counteract how the league is, is, is attacking him right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting. The fastballs, you know, I know that uh, the the pitch values that you find for for hitters on, on Fangraphs have to be taken with a grain of salt. But from 2007 to 2014, um, with a couple of small uh, exceptions, Tulowitzki crushed fastballs. And over the last three years, if you look at 2015 to 2017 in total, he's basically been neutral against fastballs and uh, a slight negative this year. That's a uh, yeah. Uh, you laid out a pretty good case, cause for concern. You also mentioned. You know, the guy behind him in center field, who's maybe not uh, hitting particularly well. He's a guy I want to talk about as well. Kevin Pillar, you know, a guy who got some some pretty well-deserved raves early in the season. Uh, his approach looked to have changed a little bit, being more selectively aggressive. Uh, he has fallen on hard times. WRC Plus down to 87 now. Uh, batting line of, of, what do we got? 250, 304, 406. Uh, tonight, he, he made an error in center field, and as you... Uh, tweeted out, get you a man that can do neither. Um, Kevin Pillar, hard times here. This is this is kind of just who he is, though, right? Like this is just him coming back down to earth. There's not a there's not really a fundamental change here. Do you think? No, I mean, you we, you always like to see guys try to improve um, their approach, and you see sometimes dynamic changes or players who appear to have become better at you know, laying off stuff or spitting on tough breaking balls. I think Justin Smoker is a good example of someone who has, seems to have shown, you know, significant strides and seems to be, he looks like a different guy at the plate. Where I don't know that you, I would say that about Pilar, um, even when he's going good. Kevin Pilar is, is, a, is a really streaky hitter because he, again, like we mentioned about Tulewiski, doesn't strike out a lot, doesn't walk a lot. So he's putting the ball in play a lot, a lot of timing involved. So sometimes you'll see him and he's just line drives for days and he and he looks great. And then that's when all of the, well, as long, you know, with his defense, as long as he can be a, you know, be a hit 280 with a 345 on base percentage, where he's great. But then you see him start to get himself out or start to roll over or they, they just sort of, uh, you know, the cycles. So, you know, I, we're getting to the point where we've got, I don't know how many thousands, or maybe probably 2,000 or 1,500 or at least 1,500 professional plate appearances of Kevin Pillar's. And we know who he is, right? He's he's a guy with, uh, with not a lot of power. He's, he's a guy who might hit for, you know, a decent average. But, but you know, we you have to kind of weather these 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 really low points and, and figure that he'll have another one of those hot streaks kind of where he doesn't get out for, for three weeks. But when you, when you see him making or not making plays in the outfield, that's when it gets a little scary, right? Yeah. Because, because so much of his value and so much of his um, ability to, to stay in there as an everyday player is tied to that defense where those chances, the, the, the difference between him and a guy who's, Maybe doesn't have the same defensive reputation. It's only a few plays, a, a couple plays a week, a few plays a month. Um, so when he doesn't make those, it just the value starts to erode um, in a hurry. The big question, I guess, with Kevin Pillar, and it's almost, it's maybe almost a blessing that if you if you assume at some point he was going to come back down to earth and have a slump at the plate, that it's happening earlier before he gets too entrenched in the leadoff spot and there's too much inertia there. Um, in talking about batting order changes. Um, I forget the exact location of this quote. I pulled it from one of Andrew Stoughton's posts of Blue Jays Nation. Um, in talking about batting order changes, John Gibbons said, uh, guys identify with certain spots. I can be stubborn and I'm a patient guy. Um, the, the discussion was more about moving smoke up or moving Jose Batista down in the order. Um, but I think there's a there's a question. You know, that Last year, the Jays were a little slow to flip Tulowitzki and Russell Martin. Uh, and now maybe there's a, there's a good justification to flip them back. 
um, if that's not too reactive. But the, the big question is what the Jays could do at the leadoff spot because the guy who seemed the most likely replacement if Kevin Pillar came back down to earth was Devin Travis, who, you know, it doesn't sound good on the Devin Travis front. Uh, I'm curious what you, Drew, would do in that leadoff spot from here uh, and what you think John Gibbons, who, according to Joe Sheehan's new newsletter, uh, top 10 tactical manager in baseball, what he might do with the leadoff spot from here, whether that's, you know, contingent on what they might be able to do on the trade market or, you know, just shuffling the, the nine guys that they're rolling out there every day. Because Pilar, I mean, Pilar was a was an unpalatable option as a leadoff hitter coming into the year based on all the evidence that we had. And then for that, like, month, it looked like maybe there was something there. But he's back to what he was, which is not a guy who should be leading off in this line. No, absolutely not. And my sincere hope is that John Gibbons will do what John Gibbons has often done, which is to take whoever is in the leadoff spot and being and being brutal and just yank his name out and put it at the bottom and then move everybody else one up. Which would so be that Josh Donaldson. That, so Josh Donaldson or, or, or Jose Bautista, um, one of those guys can lead off. Maybe Bautista. Um, again, try to get him looking at different pitches. I mean, he's going to see five pitches in that bat no matter where you put him in the lineup. So if you want him at the top. And you know he's out there running the bases like a, like, uh, <laughs> like a stud. So get him up there. Uh, and then, you know, basically, you know, uh, in Stone's post, he, or it was Ken Steve Buffery, I think, for The Sun was wrote, writing about um, Donaldson kind of saying like you got to get people on base in front of these guys and i don't know that i'm too um quick to move smoke up in the lineup because spoke he's still just in smoke and i mean we talk about all oh, there's 2000 or 1500 plate appearances of kevin pillars to show who he is there's like 5000 of those plate appearances yes, for but smoke. the launch he's, angles drew the launch angles well the launch angles are great but but i mean i don't you know no, maybe, maybe morales you. morales is, is is a number is a good number three hitter and then you can move smoke up to to clean up but then you're a team that has just just the smoke is a clean up hitter i mean how good can things be but basically all you all you look i feel like at the end of the day at this point unless jose bautista is able to resume being jose bautista the team is only as good as josh donaldson allows them to be and and he he is going to drag the offense kicking and screaming um, along for the ride. So you need to get maximize those opportunities, no matter who get as many guys on base ahead of him as you possibly can. And if that means either maybe either just getting him more at bats because you can't manufacture more on base opportunities for him, sure. Or it's loading up with as many of the higher OBP guys you've got in front of Donaldson, hoping that he manages to hit a three-run home run uh, instead of a solo shot every so often. But, I mean, uh, uh, again, that to me, that's not a big deal. It, it, you can you can rearrange the top four or five guys as many times as you want, but when you're getting almost nothing from shortstop, second base, and uh, left field, and then, uh, you know, varying returns on b- behind the plate, you know that's that's the bigger issue. So if there's an op- opportunity to up- upgrade, I'm hope it, hopeful that they would take it. Yeah, let's uh, let's. I don't want to keep you too long, so let's not get too deep into specifics. But um, are there names out there that you see as potential targets of the Jays that you kind of rub your hands a little bit and and are hopeful maybe they maybe they make an overture on? Well, the Andrew McCutcheon is the one that I think yes. think has been coming up the most. Everyone's really interested in in uh, the potential free agent, of course, with the Pirates. Um, the Pirates were eager to move him off of center field uh, this year, and and he moved him to right, and now he's back playing center, of course, because of the suspension of Starling Marte. But uh, I got a lot of time for Andrew McCutcheon. He's a great player, and he was one of the better players in the league for two, three, four uh, years. Kind of fell off a little bit the last couple. Uh, seems like he's putting it back together. The, the thing about it is almost anybody is an upgrade in left field. 
A, he's a legitimate left fielder, which Steve Pierce is not. <laughs> and B, he's a he can hit, right? He's a he's a hitter. And between Pierce and you know, God bless Ezekiel Carrera or whoever, or you know, the Dwight Smiths, or you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with somebody like Dalton Pompey. But uh, uh, you know, McCutcheon's a legit big leaguer, and he and he makes the team better, even if it's only a win or two. I mean, even that, I, you're not going to get. He's not going to be a two win player because he's barely a four win guy or three win guy now, but. McCutcheon's an upgrade. He's another right-handed hitter, so maybe you want to level it up with some left. Uh, J.D. Martinez is the name, and other people say a lot. I know I think I like McCutcheon as a bit offers a bit more for me. Um, you know, you hear Neil Walker as a as an alternative or an upgrade at second base, but now he's hurt. I don't know. Melky Cabrera is a name that I've bandied about in my own head a little bit, uh, but he's not that great either. I mean, he's any anything any upgrades you make are going to start to get real expensive real fast. Uh, I mean, we spoke on on birds all day about Christian Yelich. There were rumors that they, he was being dangled by the Marlins. For, so, for, to me, that's a humongous upgrade and a long term one. So, I'm a little bit more willing to break the bank for somebody like Christian Yelich. But I don't know that that's necessarily an option. The Jays are in a tough place. They don't. You can't overcommit because of the age and the uncertainty with which the team moves forward um, into 2018 and 2019. So, I can't see them making a huge splash. Although, for me, again, Yelich is the kind of guy that I would happily move almost anybody. Um, which is to say, any you know, no Vlad Guerrero, but uh, almost anybody else, uh, and, and, and to secure like a very, very good player on a nice contract for a long time. So in terms of rentals, again, I think I'm I'm a, on a very much a McCutcheon or 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 bust. I mean, I, I I can't pretend to have a good look at who else might be out there. I don't know if Hunter Pence is going to be, be available, but uh, you know. Anybody, anybody's up. I mean, I think I'm always a big proponent for creativity around the around the, the trade deadline. Maybe look at a team like the Dodgers, who have a bit of a glut um, of of outfielders, and they've got a they've got some really enviable depth. See if you can pry one of their lesser outfielder guys away. Um, I can't imagine who you might want in the outfield from the Dodgers. Well, I mean, even beyond Puig, I think obviously Puig is the dream, but I think he's too good, and the Dodgers, are, I think, are unlikely to move on from him, but. There are some some other guys who who might uh, might be a good fit in and around there. I mean, uh, Andrew, not Andre either. He's no longer uh, with us, sadly. But uh, obviously, Puig, Puig would be great too. But I can't see the Dodgers moving him. But maybe even some of the lesser guys. The the floor right now, given the injuries and given what you can realistically expect from Ezekiel Carrera, uh, the floor to up improve left field is not high. So, just what anybody who who you would consider an everyday big leaguer could do it this time last year i was convinced that melvin upton was going to be that but not maybe this time last year but and then he wasn't so yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that hey mccutcheon might only be worth one win from here but it's interesting when your replacement level isn't like a theoretical thing it's almost exactly zero so far with what you have there in left field and then the marginal value of any win you add at this point in what figures to be a tight wild card race um you know we all we always talk in the offseason um, or you see people talk about, you know, a win is worth $8 million or whatever. Uh, the marginal value of wins in a tight playoff race is exponentially higher. And that, you know, the the win that gets you into the playoffs or gets you home field in the wildcard game, uh, those are big wins that move you uh, a little on the curve, a little more on the curve than, you know, the win that takes you from 81 to 82 wins or, or whatever it may be. Um, Drew, I don't want to keep you any longer. I know it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a school night and all, and we, we got to catch the end of this game. Carlos Gomez, by the way, just swung literally out of his batting helmet uh, in striking out. Um, any any parting shots of the Jays? Anything else you wanted to, to touch on or talk about before we let you go here? Uh, any feelings? 
Anything like that? I really hope they make Roberto Osuna a starter next year. Uh, yeah, I, also, I didn't I also... know if this was over-talked about at this point to bring up or what, but um, yeah, make him a starter. Don't trade him. No, don't trade him. And uh, I, no, I, I don't really have anything. Uh, I, I'm enjoying the season. It would be uh, I, one thing I was going to say just to f- go off of your last point, which hopefully the Blue Jays front office got a little hooked on that extra uh, postseason money. Yeah, you know when when all those when all the that extra TV money comes in and those extra home dates, uh, I feel like that's really intoxicating. That's an intoxicating uh, elixir that you just want to keep drinking from every year. So if it means that maybe overpaying a little bit or or getting up on that those marginal wins, like you said, hopefully the front office um, does that. I, I don't think you know no one would ever accuse them of being over eager and and to uh, I don't know that they necessarily worship at the altar of flag fly forever like like myself and like their predecessor, Alex Anthopoulos. But uh, hopefully they're willing to do a little bit, get a little bit creative and, and maybe make a few moves that, that might put the Jays in a better position to uh, to get some of that sweet, sweet October money again this year. The other nice thing uh, you meant, you know, obviously you have to give something up to get something at the trade deadline. Um, the prospects, the, the pipeline isn't incredibly deep, but the, the, the Blue Jays had just such a terrific draft. Every team's draft, extremely good in the weeks following the draft. So, you know, you could dream on all of those guys filling the pipeline when you trade prospects, which are food stamps, by the way, um, to get that flag that flies forever. They're basically vouchers. They're just vouchers that you uh, that you use to upgrade. Uh, it's funny. I've talked about this a few times. Um, I'm not really telling tales out of school. I interviewed Alex Anthopoulos uh, years ago, and he talk, told me about Asher Wojciechowski, who now um, played, he got, just got sent down by the Reds. Uh, you, you talk about the, the draft. So the, when the Jays drafted Asher Wojciechowski, he was, as an amateur or high school, he was like 93, 94, 95. And then when they got him into the complex and they got him into extended spring and stuff, they realized he was more like 90, 91, 92. So they traded him because when you can move away from those guys early on, other teams go off of their existing amateur scouting reports. They haven't really been scouting like the short seasons or the or whatever else. So take a quick look. Watch these guys for like three weeks at Vancouver, make up your mind, and then start selling them off too. Yeah, this low A kid, no, he's done. He's gone. He's garbage. Get him out of here. Move him on. Uh, hopefully the Jays do that. They can just trade everyone they just drafted. Everyone spends all this time talking. Our, we talk ourselves into what they could or could not become. Sell sell high. Sell high on these guys you just drafted last week. Sign them. Trade them. Yeah, absolutely. Get rid of them. <laughs> if I already worn trade them, them all. Uh, Every single one. Drew, I gotta let you go, man. Uh, let you get on to the Jays Rangers, and I don't know. You, you, you're a real adult with like a family and stuff, so I shouldn't keep you too long. Yeah, uh, real man. adult, real adult who's been. Uh, what I would be doing right now would be watching uh, poker trainer videos. That's what I'd be watching. I'm playing micro stakes poker on my phone. Man, there That's you what go. Uh, but yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Man, thanks so much for coming on. It's we we gotta do a proper catch up sometimes, sometime outside of the. Uh, Outside the pocket, I feel like we're due for a can slam sometime in the in the next little bit. Let there be no doubt. Their cans will be slammed anytime soon. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you guys next week. Got it, got it for cheap. Might hurt you once, but never no more. It's like trying to fly, but they clipping your wings, and that's exactly why the cage bird sings. Got it, got it for cheap.